Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Robin for Pearl Buck Center. Pearl Buck is a nonprofit offering people with various abilities the support needed for them to achieve their goals within Lane County. And if you enjoy working with people while enriching their lives and your own, come join our team. We're looking for creative thinkers that enjoy bringing ideas to life. No experience is required for some positions. For more information and to apply, please check out our website at www.pearlbuckcenter.com or call us at 541-484-4666. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. Afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it was so nice outside that I decided I just had to move the show outside to my backyard, which I'm hoping that my fountain in the koi pond doesn't overwhelm my voice too much, and I don't end up with too much pollen on the screen that you can't see me through the webcam. But uh, it is just a drop-dead gorgeous day here in the Pacific Northwest. I wish I could say that was the same for our economy and other things happening around this state, the country, and the world. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. You know, it's beautiful springtime. I love my yard. Wish I had more time to work in it. I haven't planted any vegetables. You know how it is. The pots still have dead plants from last year in them. But, uh, you know, that's the life of a busy commissioner. But there is so much to talk about today. But as always, it's a call-in show. I want to remind folks that they can call in and take us in whatever direction they want to go at 646-721-9887. And just press one, and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. You're not just calling in to listen to the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here. And Robin's also available for voiceover work uh, if you heard the commercial leading into the show. (laughs) So, so much to talk about. You know, last week I had, you know, I couldn't do the show because we had a budget committee meeting. It's budget season. 
uh, had three budget meetings last week uh, for about nine hours, two this week for another six hours, got another one coming up next week. Um, we're also in bargaining with four different bargaining units. So I've got meeting executive um, session meetings, you know, today on that, next week on that. So it, it calendar's really full, tough to fit everything in. So I had to, to, to let the Bose Nose Show go for a week last week. So there's two weeks worth of stuff built up to talk about. And uh, next week, it might be hit and miss on whether I'm going to be able to make the show or not. Uh, because that's uh, when my wife's getting surgery. So we'll see whether we get done with knee surgery, home, and settled. It may not be a very much of a show next week, or it may not be none at all. So um, just a warning. But let's talk about the last couple of weeks, because it's been crazy when it comes to COVID here in Oregon. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how silly it was that we were moving into extreme risk and how wrong the metrics were the governor was using to make that decision. And I told you about letters that both our board of commissioners and the Association of Oregon Counties wrote to the governor asking her not to do it. Well, the following day, I put out a call for the citizens to ask the governor not to move us into extreme risk. And you know what? From everything I heard, we broke her voicemail system. She got so many calls Thursday and Friday that people couldn't couldn't leave messages anymore. They were getting some weird message saying they couldn't leave a message because the system was, was full or down. I, you know, but it got reported back to me. I didn't actually try and leave a message myself. But the people rose to that call for action. And then on top of it, there was an attempt at the legislature to actually reel in some of the governor's emergency powers that missed passing by one vote. And statewide, there's been an uproar all over about this. So I think the governor sort of got the message and tried to find some place she could declare victory and pull back from the extreme risks. And she found that, that the cases, hospitalizations were only at 14.9%, not 15%. So she could move back, you know, and rather than waiting until the, the, the Friday, because everything was happening on Fridays on a regular basis, she immediately moved everybody back to high risk. And uh, I think it was just a matter of she got that much pressure. So I want to thank all of you out there that called and left white messages asking the governor not to take us to extreme risk and to maybe relook at the metrics that, that she was using to make those decisions. And I want to thank my fellow commissioners here in Lane County for signing that letter with all the chambers of commerce that we sent. I want to thank all the other commissioners from around the state that signed the Association of Oregon Counties letter that also was uh, co-written uh, by the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Uh, all of those things made a difference. Now, you know, only one or two more Democrats had flipped their vote. Just actually would have only taken one because all the Republicans voted to, to, to try and bring that bill to the floor 
to restrict the governor's um, emergency powers. And actually, it wasn't even that much of a restriction. It basically just required her to submit a written explanation of why she was going to make an extension to a current emergency. But they couldn't even vote to do that. But all of that was enough pressure to finally get the governor to go, yeah, I guess I am being a little bit of a Karen here and, and maybe being knee-jerk because, you know, frankly, just as I predicted, hospitalizations stayed fairly level because the vaccinations are get, uh, been gotten out there and the people, the cases that people are getting are less severe if they've got a breakthrough case or it's because they're younger. It's the, the, the average age of people getting COVID is dropping because we have vaccinated our elderly folks. So with that, we weren't going to see the hospitalization spike we saw last November. And the governor was living in last November land when she made that, decided to close indoor dining, close gymnasiums, and really hurt some local businesses, small businesses too. I mean, this didn't hurt McDonald's. You know, it didn't hurt, you know, the KFC folks. It didn't hurt Walmart. It didn't hurt Kroger. It didn't hurt Costco. But it sure hurt every small restaurant. You know, that's, you know, single restaurant, family-owned type businesses, boy local people. That's what that shutdown hurt. And the whiplash she's giving our restaurants, first she tells them that, that she's not going to move us back into extreme, so they've got food on hand, and then she puts them in extreme risk, so they, so they slow down their orders. Then she takes them out and reopens them with Mother's Day on the horizon, the, one of the busiest restaurant days of the year. Think about trying to plan or a restaurant, let alone trying to keep employees in a time when it's really difficult to get them. Thus, the commercial leading into this show, people are looking for employees right now, and they can't get them to apply. I know of one business that's raised their, their wages 10% across the board to try and attract employees. And it's a business that already pays above the median salaries of Oregon. It's a, it's a uh, plywood manufacturing company. So, you know, we really need to be careful and thoughtful about what we're doing to control the pandemic. Make sure our decisions aren't knee-jerk and they're not harmful. Now, the newest news in COVID from, the, from Governor Karen is that now she's wagging her finger at Oregon and saying, you know, we have to get the 70% vaccination for me to, to lift all the restrictions and to, to stop doing county-by-county county restrictions. But until then, if a county can get the 65% first-dose vaccination of everybody 16 and older, that eligible population, and we submit a plan to her about how we're going to get vaccines to underserved communities, 
um, that 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 they will review and approve. If we get them that plan by the 14th, and we get down and we get to 65% by the 18th, they'll let us go to low risk. Thank goodness Lane County has been doing a great job getting vaccines out there, because that population that that she's got that metric on now, which is talk about a new metric that comes out of nowhere, 65% of first dose of the 16 and up population in a county, and you can move to low risk. We're at 62% as of yesterday morning. So we're probably at 63% today, and we're edging towards that 65%. And we should easily be there by the 18th of, of May. So I'm looking forward to having indoor dining and all that, you know, that, you know, and all the wonderful things that come with it uh, and being able to go to a gym or whatever, you know, a movie, a theater, and actually enjoy myself here in Lane County after May 18th. Kind of wish we could move forward faster, but we'll see. Um, You know, we've actually seen our case rates plateau here in Lane County, slight trend downward over the last seven days. So we still have to be careful, though. We can't be like those, you know, the the under-25 crowd that hasn't had their brains fully developed yet, because we all know now, because we know enough about the human brain and enough studies have been done that the brain doesn't stop developing until age 25, and the last part of the brain that develops is the one that understands future consequences for decisions made today. And that's the last piece of the brain that develops. So some of those folks that are under 25 that live and maybe go to the University of Oregon, live at least close to it, have been having a few parties lately. You might have seen online. That can't continue to happen. That's going to drive case numbers up and give Governor Karen a reason to shut us down again. Don't scare the Karen. Please. Not to mention, you know, even though COVID's less dangerous in younger people, it's still a dangerous disease, much more dangerous than influenza. You can still die as a 20-year-old from COVID. You can still get long haulers syndrome and be, you know, weak as a kitten for six months to a year. Not to mention saddling, you know, family and everything with hospital debt and everything else. So don't be stupid. Until you've gotten vaccinated, be smart. And, uh, you know, make your choices accordingly. Now, of course, I'm not going to go around and be the COVID police because you all should be smart enough to make that decision. Although if you're under 25, I kind of sometimes question whether you have the rational ability to understand the consequences of your decisions, but you should be smart enough. But so looks like Lane County is on its way to a little bit better place. And that's kind of the COVID update for the day. And uh, I, I want to, you know, kind of move on from that and maybe talk a little bit about a piece that I got into. And I talked about this maybe a month or so ago about an Ernst & Young study that came out uh, about tax burdens 
on the timber and wood products industry here in Oregon because there are proposals right now and their chief sponsor is my state representative, Paul Holby from downtown, well, basically the South Hills, but he represents way out here in downtown Elmira because of the way they drew the districts, you know, that, 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 that fair district drawing that, you know, put pie tips into Portland. So there's every, you know, Portland's got a whole bunch of state representatives and puts rural communities like mine in with the South Hills of Eugene uh, in House District 8. But Representative Holby's got several bills that would add a new tax into the wood products industry. An industry that Ernst & Young's study clearly shows pays a 50% higher tax burden than the average of all other businesses in Oregon. So it's already paying more taxes. And one of the things the editorial I wrote looks at is about, you know, six months or so before they did this study, they did a different one for the Oregon Business and Industries folks. And it showed that Oregon is moving from the lower half of business tax burden states jumping a huge number of steps into the upper portions of that category and moving to near the top of the West Coast as far as business taxation because of the new corporate activities tax as it's phased in and the new paid family leave tax. And those two things are making Oregon jump about 20 places up the ladder in the 50-some states from the bottom half into the top half and nearly the top going from the near, near the bottom of West Coast states to second, I believe, on the West Coast. And with that, you have now Oregon being a high business tax state, and then the wood products industry paying 50% more than the average of that high business tax. And Representative Holby doesn't think they pay enough taxes and has a new tax he wants to add on to that, called a severance tax. Mind you, we're in an extreme housing crisis right now. Everything about housing costs unbelievable amounts of money, and there's a shortage because of the COVID-disrupted logistics and supply chains and um, caused problems for mills to keep full shifts running. In fact, you know, some of them had to shut down for a time until they figured out how they could space people. And it's really just been um, difficult, you know, to keep the good supply chain going. So everything about housing has gone up in price. Not to mention everybody wants to move into the suburbs from the cities now because they learn that they can work remotely if they've got a high-speed Internet connection. And they really like the fact that it's nice to have a backyard like this to have the kids go out and play and to have a little bit of extra room. So we're doing school from the home and, and, you know, remote learning and distance work and all that. They can be in separate rooms. People are, are leaving the cities. So the demand for housing has just gone through the roof. So prices are going through the roof. Now add to that mix, we're going to add another tax 
onto a basic commodity that's part of new housing. It just doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense that it's a building material that is by far, if you believe in climate change, the most climate-friendly building material we could ever use. The carbon footprint of steel and concrete and other building materials is just unbelievably high. Whereas it can be argued that wood products actually sequester carbon and have a negative footprint overall. So, you know, I don't know what Representative Holby's thinking. I mean, when you really think about it, and I put this into the op-ed, and I have a, and I can email somebody the spreadsheet if they want to see it. The top property taxpayers in this county, almost, you know, you look at that list, it's sprinkled with the folks that everybody wants to demonize. Our top number one taxpayer in this county is international paper products, and that huge facility they have out there in Springfield, they pay almost $4.1 million a year in property taxes. How many school teachers does that support annually? How many police officers? How many firefighters? How many roads get paid with that money? You know, that's a lot of change. I mean, I complain about my property tax bill, and it's only about 4000 a year. $4.1 million. And then you look at the number two property taxpayer, and it's the evil warehouser corporation, that Wall Street firm that's, you know, just taking all their profits out of our state. Well, they're dropping about 2.8, almost 2.9 million a year in property taxes into our local community, just in property taxes. That doesn't count corporate activity taxes, income taxes, LTT taxes, you name it. That's property taxes, 2.9 million. And you can work your way down the list, Seneca, you know, uh, Kingsford. Roseboro, they're all up there in that top, you know, 25 or so property taxpayers paying millions of dollars in local property taxes. So, you know, anybody that thinks that there's, you know, they're not paying their share of property taxes and somehow or another they have a tax break 50% higher than the average of all other organ businesses. You know, when you throw in Intel up in Washington County and you throw in, you know, the mom and pop, you know, uh, convenience store like Hilltop Market here in Elmira, you average all that together with the wood products folks and you get a certain amount of tax burden. And if you take just the wood products industry and figure out what their tax burden is, it's 50% higher than that average. So, you know, I, I, you hear over and over again, oh, they're not paying their fair share. They're getting some kind of tax break, they're, you know, because they're not paying a severance tax. That was an old form of taxation. We don't, you know, we don't tax wheat farmers every time they cut a shaft of wheat. 
You know, they're harvesting a crop. They do pay income tax on the profits from selling that crop, just like a wheat farmer does. You know, and there's a lot of other ways they're paying taxes, property taxes. And, you know, one of the things the Ernst & Young study did not capture was it didn't capture some parts of, their in, of this industry that they couldn't easily set aside. All of the transportation portion of the wood products industry, they really didn't capture. All the logging trucks and the weight mile taxes and registration fees that are paid for those, you know, and, you know, all the other uh, transportation needs for the industry, low boys, that wasn't really captured. What they captured was the easy to find, uh, you know, parts of the industry that are set aside, you know, in certain categories by the state economists that it would, they could they could follow. So, you know, that's kind of where timber taxation is. Yet, you know, we want to tax them more because, of course, we haven't we're not having a record year of of revenue here in the state of Oregon. And, you know, particularly when it comes to pot revenue. And uh, there's other taxes that they're looking at. And and just to show, yeah, well, that's part of it, you know, Robin's saying personal property tax. When I'm talking about property tax for um, the timber industry here in Lane County, it includes personal business property tax. But one of the things that the new tax they're also looking at in the legislature is not so much a tax as it's eliminating deductions. And one of the things they want to get rid of is the mortgage interest deduction. And, and, you know, once again, I thought there's a housing crisis. The mortgage interest deduction is one of the ways people afford housing, but they want to get rid of it or limit it at least. There's one bill that would completely get rid of it. There's another bill that would limit it for certain high-income earners and second homes, so to speak. Um, mind you, a lot of those second homes are rentals, which means, you know, not being able to, to deduct interest on them might affect the rental housing market. But, um, you know, we're, we just never think about the unintended consequences here. It almost seems like our legislature's under the age of 25, and they haven't developed that part of their brain that understands the long-term consequences of a decision made today. Oh my God, I finally figured it out. Our legislature is populated with teenagers. That's why they keep making these decisions. Oh man, I'm gonna to have to think about that one for a while. All right, don't. I'm getting too wound up about taxes. Let's talk about something that's a little bit more pleasant for at least this year. And, you know, I mentioned that we are in the middle of budget season, COVID season, budget season, COVID season. Sorry, Bugs Bunny and, and Daffy Duck. Yeah, you're despicable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I keep having that flashback. And, and you know, Nowadays, they don't even show that cartoon because there's actually a rifle in it, and it gets discharged in Daffy Duck's face. So heaven forbid kids might actually think that's something you could do for real. (laughs) 
my God, Robin, thank you. <laughs> but budget season. <laughs> Before I get too far off on that tangent about cartoons, I love Warner Brothers cartoons, by the way. Bugs Bunny um, saw a special with Mel um, Blunt, who does the voice of, or used to do the voice of Bugs Bunny. He's passed away now. And he was actually modeled off the typical New Yorker in the forties when he first came up with that voice and character. <laughs> so just so you know, but um, getting back to the budget, <laughs> we were actually having a, a, a basically um, hold serve status quo budget this year. We're not making any big investments. Uh, we're not having to draw down reserves in any big way, we're close. Fortunately, a lot of the COVID relief funds have come back specifically to replenish reserves that we lost due to things like car rental tax going to zero. And my neighbors Harley just went by. Um, and um, you know, our lane events center basically having no events. You know, gas tax collections went way down in this state. You know, and you know, there's, this, there's this little thing called a transient room tax that hotels and campsites charge. Um, that's kind of gone to almost nothing. So, you know, there's been a lot of revenue that's gone down. And uh, so we were able to make some of that up with some of these funds that come from the federal government. We'll talk more about that later, though, because that's having another impact on us. One of those long-term consequences to short-term decisions. Um, but what we're looking at right now is the status quo budget. We are making some small investments. And part of our investment is we're um, trying to, to add some staff and do some additional work in our mental health uh, department because we're just seeing, you know, that the pendulum swung after, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and all that stuff. We disinvested and moved people out of um, institutionalized mental health for good reason. You know, that one flew over the cuckoo's nest model wasn't exactly great. And we all know that was filmed at the state, old state hospital, you know, here in Oregon. Um, and we've kind of swung the other way to the point where it's nearly impossible to get to force anyone to accept any help mentally. Um, and we've got a bunch of people that are mentally ill and homeless. And sometimes even with coexisting conditions because they've tried to self-treat with it, some kind of drug abuse or substance abuse. Um, and that's a big problem here in Lane County, overwhelming our criminal justice system, overwhelming our social services system. So we're trying to, to do more there Getting back to the legislature, there's a bill we're trying to get the legislature to pass that would grant counties, county health departments like ours that are trying to do more and taking folks out of the state hospital system because they, they're, they're overwhelmed with people being referred to them by the courts because these people are so sick they can't understand and aid in their defense in a court. And they get sent to the state hospital supposedly to get well enough to understand what they're being charged with and to aid in their defense. 
Well, the state wants to have those people stay local at the county level. But the problem is those folks are a huge liability. There was somebody that a municipal court referred to us without asking us, a local municipal judge referred somebody here who actually killed several people. Um, And and now the county is being sued for tens of millions of dollars over that, over somebody we didn't ask to have assigned to us, didn't, weren't really truly aware of what had been done and had no ability to force the person into treatment and the person refused treatment and his parents refused to make him go to treatment ultimately killed his parents um, and a couple other people with a vehicle. Um, we're trying to get the state to actually provide some indemnity and immunity to counties that are willing to take people out of the state hospital seat system and treat them locally. But you know who doesn't want that to pass? Oh, my gosh, it might be the Trial Lawyers Association. It gives lots of money to a certain party that's in the majority up in the state house. Well, I tell you, if they don't figure it out, there isn't going to be uh, behavioral health systems at the county levels for very much longer. We cannot survive the lawsuits that are coming to us. So they've either got to figure it out and provide some kind of immunities or they're going to collapse the system even worse than it already is. Mind you, third worst substance abuse problem in the nation and is 47th for access to substance abuse treatment programs. So, you know, come on legislature, put on your big boy pants, act like you're over the age of 25 and understand a long-term consequence of a decision you're making right now. Grant us some of that immunity. That's one of the places we're going to try and make some investment, but it's kind of stipulated on some partnership from the state. We'll see if we get that partnership. The other place we're making an investment is kind of a strange area, but it's an important area, and it's in data collection and management. It's gotten to be, and and the past, the pandemic and the wildfires have shown us that our need to be able to collect and manage data quickly, you know, and on the fly is so important to keep our, our county government running and as well as it's important to be able to answer the questions of the public about and be transparent. Everything from collecting uh, data on race and ethnicity to, as far as our criminal justice system goes to being able to, to tell people exactly where we're evacuating people, and what the level of evacuation means, you know, and providing that data out there. You can't believe the millions of hits our wildfire website got in those first several days of the wildfires last September. So, you know, our ability to manage and process data quickly. So we're investing in some additional staff there and some additional um, software, hardware, et cetera, to try and bolster our ability to, to manage data in the modern world. So um, that's kind of where our budget is. We're not adding any new sheriff's patrol officers other than the four we added earlier this year. We're not adding any more district attorneys. You know, we're not adding additional parole officers. Um, 
you know, our criminal justice system staying the same anemic uh, self it has been for several years. Um, we are trying to add mental health stuff because I think that's ultimately going to take people out of the criminal justice pipeline, which will help with the rest of it. Um, but we really, um, I wish we could be being, making some more investment in rural patrol, but it's just there's not the budget to do it right now. Which kind of gets me to another subject. You know, here we are wishing I had more officers out in rural Lane County and the ability to deal with, you know, property crime and some of the, the quality of life crime that goes on in this county. And, you know, maybe actually issue a few speeding tickets here and there. So not so much for revenue, but just to get people to be reasonable even though we've had less miles driven in the last year because of COVID, our, our fatality rate on Lane County roads has gone up because people are going so much faster with the lighter traffic. Kind of need to get people to, you know, put that over 25 brain, engage it again. <laughs> Understand there's a consequence to going that fast sometimes. Um, but we, you know, a little bit, you know, one of the things that reminds people of that is getting a ticket sometimes or at least seeing a visible presence of law enforcement out there, which you won't see very much in rural Lane County. So while I'm wishing for more patrol, we've got people out there vandalizing volunteer elected officials in our city, in our, you know, our county seat, the city of Eugene. Three city councilors had their personal residences vandalized with graffiti by the defund the police crowd. I'm sorry, but that just doesn't fly with me. I hope that EPD uses every resource they have to find out who that is, whether it takes six months or almost a year, just like the arrest they're still making for last May's riot. You know, I hope that they find those folks and throw the book at them, because I believe they've committed some serious felonies. And and we we need to, to just make sure folks understand that's not acceptable. I mean, there's a right to political speech, but there's no right to have your political speech damage my property. You know, you have no right. Your political speech, you know, just like your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins, you swing your fist in the air all you want. You can shout and scream and, and write and publish anything you want to say. Don't have a right to put it on my property and damage my property. You don't have a right to intimidate me. Because it's kind of interesting, there's the issues coming before the city council in the next couple of weeks. I think that was maybe an attempt to intimidate. We know where you live. Are we becoming Portland? But, you know, we live in a new world. And, and you know, before I jump into... My, my new world stuff and some of the other issues about, you know, how our coffers got replenished from the federal government. I want to remind folks we are a call-in show. Uh, 
And I, I haven't really taken a breath to do that yet. We've got 10 minutes left in the show or so, or, or 20 minutes, I think. Sorry, looking at the clock wrong, backwards. Uh, 20 minutes left in the show, plenty of time to get in. 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that gets you into the Bose Nose Show. And lets us know you have a question, comment, or uh, something you want to just get off your chest. So uh, 646-721-9887, and don't forget to press 1, because we do have somebody right now that called in just to listen, because sometimes people can't listen live from their computer, and they call on the phone to listen live, because uh, they might be driving down the road, hopefully paying some gas taxes so we can rebuild our roads. Uh, but, you know, it's gotten kind of crazy world the last couple of days. I don't know, maybe you've kind of noticed that Dow Jones was down over almost 2% at 600 and some 800, 680 some points today and has been down several days in a row. Um, there's missiles flying in the Middle East again, and there's gas lines on the East Coast, and Inflation's raising its ugly head, and unemployment's still high, even though people want to hire people. God, last time I remember gas lines and Middle East and, and border crises and inflation, Jimmy Carter. Oh, my gosh. I've gone back to college. <laughs> Oh, yes. It's how I became a civil engineer. Um, yeah, I graduated towards the end of the Carter administration when people were having concerts to keep farmers from going bankrupt. Needless to say, I couldn't find a job in my chosen field of agricultural engineering and ended up taking a job with a civil engineering firm, and that's how I became a civil engineer. Thank you, Jimmy Carter or the misery index and stagflation and everything else in between. But now today, I don't think it's Jimmy Carter. We're living in Biden's world and what comes with it, which is we are printing money faster than we can pay for it. And we're starting to see it in inflation. And we're also projecting a very weak um, image globally and that's where you're starting to see things change where people are willing to hack critical energy infrastructure in this country where our southern borders become a complete mess the middle east is becoming destabilized i mean it wasn't just a few short years ago we were hearing about new peace accords and recognitions of the state of israel by arab states that had never recognized it. Now where are we? Missiles flying. A critical pipeline down on the East Coast just got back in, in business. Still can't believe they were susceptible to that kind of attack. There's, there's a longer piece of the story there. You know, having worked in critical infrastructure after 9-11, which I clearly remember because I was working for a, a utility, water and electric utility, critical infrastructure. 
There were bills passed that mandated hardening of those infrastructure. First, first assessment that had to be done and turned into Homeland Security, that new agency that was formed after 9-11. And then you had to carry out the work to harden your facilities. And one of the places you looked was, were your control systems separated from the Internet? Are they secure? Who has the ability to get in and use them and work with them? All those various security issues. I can tell you one thing. The control systems for eWeb, Eugene Water Electric Board's electrical system and their water system are not connected to the Internet. They are separate. There's no interconnection between the two. So the ability to, you know, if they do a ransomware attack against eWeb, well, what they might get their, their, their intranet system and their billing and whatever else that might be connected to the Internet, but they're not going to get the control systems for the water and be able to threaten turning pumps on or off and busting water mains and starving the city of water or shutting down the electrical grid because they don't touch the Internet. There's separate, you know, system control and data acquisition system known as SCADA. So I don't know what Colonial Pipeline was doing, but they ignored some of that. So there's some blame to be shared by them. But still, the emboldening of actors, and it looks like this was a Russian group, which I can't imagine they're not acting without any tacit approval of, you know, the Russian government. Stuff like that, you know, it's going to get worse possibly because we're projecting a very weak um, profile out in the global world. So we're living in Biden's world today. But one of the worst things we're doing right now is what we're going to, what we're doing with our dollar in printing money, adding inflation, I mean, the 10-year ten ten yields uh, have gone up today significantly. Uh, we're going to start seeing that in mortgage rates back to housing costs. We're going to start seeing that start to suppress business activity eventually. So, you know, some of the folks that, that aren't hired now, you might want to think about getting hired because if you aren't hired soon, there may not be that job, you know, six months from now. You know, the, you know the, that the businesses might turn back the other direction, not be hiring. But you know, we you know, and we're looking at printing more. You know, it's not just the COVID relief 2.1 trillion or whatever we, we printed, and the trillions we printed, printed prior to that COVID relief funds. We're talking about this massive infrastructure, and I put infrastructure in quotes because I swear. What they consider infrastructure in that bill, I would never have considered infrastructure a year ago or even six months ago. They've redefined the word where welfare systems and social systems are considered, quote, infrastructure. So it's just interesting to me where, where they're going with some of this. But keep printing that money. I don't know, 
I do the grocery shopping for the family. It's just, you know, the wife is a business owner. They think I'm busy being a, being a county commissioner. It is kind of one of the things, though, that also keeps me in contact with the community because I can't go down the aisles of Fred Meyer without being stopped by somebody to complain about their neighbor or some other thing. Uh, but, yeah, doing the grocery shopping, I'm aware that cereal boxes are getting skinnier. Um, you know, the, the, the number of ounces in a package of something has gotten smaller. It used to be, you know, you got... We bought pasta. It was in a one-pound package. Now it's 13 ounces. Yeah. <laughs> but the price stayed the same. And I, you know, I don't know if the food people think you know the 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 world is stupid or something like that. But they are definitely um, starting to do what they did. You know, the last big wave of inflation I remember. You know, in the in the 70s, the first thing they did was start making less in each package to try and at least look like they weren't raising their prices. But we're already seeing gas prices jump. You know, we're up over $3 a gallon again. And I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like for the next couple of weeks as we go into the summer driving season. And now we've caused this huge disruption on the East Coast. You know, we've canceled the Keystone Pipeline. You know, we're wasn't too long ago we were exporting petroleum from this country and we were energy independent gas prices were well under two dollars a gallon just remember that um but depending on where you live they got under two dollars a gallon and i don't know if they ever quite got there in oregon <laughs> but that's a whole different story because we don't have any refineries we're talking about here on the West Coast, and also just what, what we do to tax and the lack of transportation infrastructure for petroleum products. But, uh, you know, we, we just have to start thinking about long-term consequences. And all of this government printing of money has a long-term consequence. That will take years to see some of the impacts. And it's, you know, it's great if you get, you know, I guess Congress and, and our president are a bunch of teenagers that haven't developed that brain fully. They haven't reached that 25-year-old brain. They can't, their decision-making doesn't seem to understand the long-term consequences. But anyone with half a brain understands you print money to pay for something, it's inflationary. It's a simple fact of economics. And as we're looking at the Chinese potentially releasing a new cryptocurrency that's gold-backed, the U.S. dollar may lose its standing as the world's currency for exchange. Imagine what that's going to do to inflation once that happens. We should be very careful about enacting and distributing funds for programs that we don't have the ability to pay for. It has an impact. 
one of my criticisms of the Trump administration is they didn't pay attention to national debt. It was a criticism of the Obama administration. It was a criticism of the Bush administration at times. There is a long-term consequence, and there is a suppression of our economy that happens. Jobs are lost when we print money. It adds to inflation, increases interest rates ultimately, and suppresses the economy, and jobs get lost. And for all of you that are the social justice warriors out there, do you know where the jobs get lost first? Low wage, because they go for automation for those low-skilled jobs to keep companies going. I mean, you know, already walking to a McDonald's now, how many touchscreen ordering devices are there versus people at register? They're looking at automated burger flipping machines and everything else. And that's just the McDonald's industry. Think about almost every industry out there is starting to try and think about how do I automate? Self-checkouts are going to become the norm. Not just this side thing. There's actually going to be more self-checkout than there will be regular checkout. So I saw Robin pop up here. Is there, you got something on that? Can't hear you, Robin. Suppose I should uh, open my mic. Might actually make a big difference. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the little things, you know. Yeah. Um, as as you were talking about cereal boxes getting smaller, how about the 7.5 ounce uh, soda cans yeah. that you're seeing more and more of? Yeah, the mini cans. The mini cans. Yeah, two gulps and it's gone. That's yeah. the name for the new product, two gulps and it's gone. Well, you know, when they took it from a, a, a fifth of booze, you know, down to 750 milliliters, I'm wondering when we're going to get to the 600 milliliter booze bottle, and that's considered what is a fifth, you know? Yeah. You, you, you'll you'll see that happen, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, you're, uh, I'm waiting for them to try and go back to trying to convert to the metric system so that we won't understand how gas has actually increased so much when they start selling it by the liter instead of the gallon. Yeah, yeah what you say there, Governor? Give me about uh, 15 liters. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, a year from now, don't say I didn't tell you so, but we'll be living in a situation, and, you know, this has an impact. We are in bargaining. One of the things I mentioned earlier in the show was we're in bargaining with four of our bargaining units right now uh, out of our eight in, in, at Lane County. And lo and behold, suddenly the bargaining requests want huge colas when that wasn't such a big issue a year or two ago because they're seeing it. So what happens when we have to start paying more, you know, not like government doesn't already pay fairly well, but we're going to have to start paying these COLAs, which build on themselves year after year. And we're looking at contracts that are going to add millions of dollars of cost to the county budget. And like I said, we're really not seeing revenue increase by any amount. 
you know, we're barely holding on to the services. We have some minor enhancements this year. If we have to start accounting for millions of dollars in cost of living increases, oh my gosh, what, what do we do? Well, we lay people off and restrict services. So we actually start going the other direction, and it's this swirling, you know, circling the drain sort of thing. So what's the government probably going to do at that point? Oh, they might print more money to help us out. I don't know why we're collecting taxes at the federal government to distribute down to state and local governments like they do, rather than depending on them to collect them where they live. Because some governments are better than others about living within their means and spending their money on meaningful programs and real real needs. But, you know, we now, you know, basically they use the uh, coronavirus crisis to put enough money into blue states that were having what I would call public employee retirement systems crises, not necessarily, you know, it really – did more to solve those problems than it did to solve a pandemic-related problem in some ways. Yes, there were some issues with revenues because of the pandemic. But, you know, why should we be paying federal tax here in Oregon to support Illinois' public employee retirement system, which is basically broke, or California's? You know, of course, Oregon's kind of helped getting some of that help, too. But, you know, if you're a a state like Florida or Texas that's been really good with your finances, you should be pissed. Rob, I'm not sure you guys. <laughs> well, I was just reading an article. This is from the Northwest Observer. Uh, ORS 383.001, it kind of gives an oxymoron, uh, kind of like what you're talking about. The legislature simply finds that under Section 510, significant traffic congestion adversely affects, affects Oregon's economy and the quality of life. Therefore, we should have a variable rate toll system using cameras to read your license plate so we can collect the tolls, uh, which will also fund money for gifts, legislature allotment, federal sources, and fees paid for information. So for the quality of life, we're going to charge you more. Yeah. But, you know, there is some argument to, make, to be made for time demand, per, you know, pricing. Um, so I I am not as a – I know tolls bother the, the, the heck out of you. I'm not as afraid of them in some ways because think about something as simple as going to a movie nowadays. I usually go Sunday mornings, one, because I hate crowds. I like being in the theater almost by myself, and it's cheap. But if you go Friday evening at, at you know, the 7 o'clock or, or to 9 o'clock showings, you pay a premium for that. Why? Because the theater's full, and people want to go at that time of day. You see it with restaurants. You see the, quote, blue plate specials for trying to get people to come in before the dinner rush so they don't overwhelm the kitchen. You know, that's been a a way that the free market has used to levelize demand for a long period of time. And the fact that it's moving into the transportation side of our marketplace is is 
not necessarily a bad thing in some ways. So you and I will, will agree probably to disagree on some of that. But the question is, is do they need the tolls in the first place? Yeah, for roads that we, A, already paid for. And per your example, that's a choice of a luxury uh, for people like me that um, don't make a lot of money and have to go to work. And, of course, you know, Eugene is not known for a variety of freeways that, uh, yeah, an extra $5 a day in taxes, um, $25 a week, $100 a month, that hurts. Yeah. And it hurts, you know, any sort of transportation-related taxation and cost really hurts the working poor the most. And and it's been shown over and over again that that's who's most disinvested. But, you know, for some of those folks in the legislature, their goal is to put us all on a bus. And you know what happened to public transportation during the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes. Let me remind folks. You're thinking like an engineer again. Yeah. Let me remind folks, the cities that were hurt the worst with caseloads in the pandemic were the cities that had the greatest dependency on public transportation like buses and subways and light rail. Because you put people in a small space close together. Yeah. Mask or not. They're not 100% effective. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of shared touch surfaces. I tell you, you know, that, you know, it's just remember that. And there's so, you know, there's so much individual freedom in having your own personal transportation that's not tied to a railway or a busway or wherever, where you can go where you want to, when you want to, you know, in a manner you want to. That's you know, just part of being a, a free individual in America. That's right. And don't forget to wear your mask. Yep. <laughs> well, we, we ran a few minutes over here on the Bose Nose Show. I hope my fountain in the background wasn't too annoying for folks that might have been listening today, but I just could not resist being outside. And, of course, I, I'm seeing one of my, my poodles is, is sleeping away. I don't know if I can get the camera to show her or not. But I, is she visible? Yep, she's there. Yep. Oh, so cute. That is Miss Piper. She's enjoyed me having the show outside because she got to sleep in the cool grass. So I yell the word. So we'll be. I don't know if I'm going to be back next week because of various things going on. Because we are T minus one week from um, a knee operation now, uh, and. I have a feeling I may not be able to make it on the air. So we might see it in two weeks. If I do get it on the air next week, it might be an abbreviated version. But we're here normally every Wednesday at 4. I want to thank you for listening, and have a great week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know 
all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.